Chapter 20 As above, so below. Confucius Keeping it in the family Quote, Respectfulness without the rules of propriety become laborious bustle. Carefulness without the rules of propriety become timidity. Boldness without the rules of propriety become insubordination. Straightforwardness without the rules of propriety become rudeness. End quote. Confucius Analects Another concept that's very similar to Wren, but is focused exclusively on the family, is the concept of filial piety, called Xiao. This principle lays great emphasis on one's parents, elders and forebearers, including figures of authority. Much of this concept is described in the book Zhao Jing, which records a discussion between Confucius and his student Zheng Shen. Zheng Shen, or Zheng Si, as he is otherwise known, is considered to be one of the four great sages of Confucianism, as he is acknowledged as the one who started the line of transmissions of orthodox Confucian traditions. It is speculated that the documents that comprise the Zhao Jing date to around 400 BCE. Zhao was a characteristic that one cultivated at home, and only if you mastered that could you take it out into the world authentically. This concept is based on the principle that if you disrespect your parents and have little or no regard for their well-being, and then go out into the world with that attitude, you might be able to fake caring about other people or fake respecting authority for a while, but it won't last long, and you will be seen for who you really are and will end up bringing shame to yourself and your family name. Zhao is something that radiates outward from the family unit and into the culture itself. Quote, Confucius was at home, and Zheng Tsi was in attendance. The teacher said, The former kings have a most important virtue and way of conduct to make the world harmonious. The people practice peace and cordiality, and neither above nor below have resentment. Do you know what it is? Zheng Tsi got off his mat and said, I, Shen, am not clever. How could I know it? The teacher said, Xiao is the foundation of virtue, and is what all teaching grows out of. Sit down, I will tell you. The body, hair, and skin all have been received from the parents, and so one doesn't dare damage them. That is the beginning of Xiao. Establishing oneself, practicing the way, spreading the fame of one's name to posterity, so that one's parents become renowned. That is the end of Zhao. Thus Zhao starts with serving one's parents, progresses with serving one's lord, and ends with establishing oneself. The great refined odes say, Do not just commemorate your ancestors, cultivate your virtue. End quote. Xiao Jing this sense of filial piety is still very much alive in modern China, as there are many codes of behavior that insist on deference to elders. These extend to younger people being expected to stand when an older person enters the room, sitting down after them, waiting for the elder to speak first, and neither interrupting or contradicting them. The older you are in Chinese culture, the more respect you are due. There are also subtle things that will signify whether you have cultivated your xiao, like not crossing your legs in front of an older person, or by insisting on opening doors for them. Quote, the teacher said, 
The noble person is Zhao in serving his parents, and so his loyalty can be transferred to his lord. He is respected to elders in serving his big brothers, and so his compliance can be transferred to his superiors. He affects order when at home, and so his governing ability can be transferred to his position as an official. Yes, that is why one's conduct succeeds inside the home, and one's name comes to be established among posterity. End quote. Xiao Jing No Judgment the idea of Xiao has important psychological implications with regard to being less judgmental of people with infirmities, which are natural byproducts of the aging process. In cultures that are dominated by competitiveness or a narrative that extols youthfulness and athleticism as qualities to be lauded, there can be an unconscious or even conscious shunning of all things that represent decrepitude in any form. What Xiao is cultivating appears to be very similar to what the humanistic psychologist Carl Rogers referred to as unconditional positive regard. As a therapeutic device, with unconditional positive regard, a therapist can show people acceptance even if their behavior is contradictory to the therapist's own personal opinions and biases. It is something that forms the cornerstone of any helpful relationship because it requires a commitment to understanding someone else's frame of reference. This is not to say that Zhao is blind obedience to authority or elders. If the elders are out of sync or doing something that's unrighteous, it is the child's duty to help them back onto the right path. However, as with unconditional positive regard, it is about separating the person from the problem, and therefore one can be hard on the issue yet still be respectful of the person. Quote, Zheng Tsi said, if it is about being kind and loving, being respectful, bringing peace to the minds of parents and spreading one's name, those instructions have already been heard. May I ask, if the son obeys the orders of a father, can that be called Zhao? The teacher said, what kind of talk is that? What kind of talk is that? Formerly, when a son of heaven has seven subordinates, who will dispute him even though he has no virtue, he will not lose all under heaven the empire. When a duke has five subordinates who will dispute him even though he has no virtue, he will not lose his state. When a minister has three subordinates who will dispute him even though he has no virtue, he will not lose his clan. With a friend who will dispute him, an officer will not lose his good name. With a son who will dispute him, a father will not fall into unrighteousness. So, when there is unrighteousness, then the son must not refrain from disputing his father, and the subordinate must not refrain from disputing his lord. So, when there is unrighteousness, one must dispute it. How can obeying the father's orders be considered Zhao? End quote, Zhao Jing. Respect for the Respecting Respect, as we tend to view it, is something that is somehow earned by another person and can decline very rapidly when we lose respect for someone because of some action or event they may have been party to. If we consider it a little, we'll see that much of our respect for people is related to the things we value. So, if I place a high value on material goods or wealth, I'll be inclined to respect those who have it more than I respect those who don't. This applies to all sorts of values. B. 
be they one's scholarly prowess, asceticism, spiritualism, or youth culture, what's more, each of us has a unique combination of values that we do not simplistically hold to only one and no other. These values will either connect us more deeply with our families and our communities or drive us completely away from our tribes. From a Confucian standpoint, the onus is on the individual to cultivate a sense of respect, obedience and conformity, so that the family unit is kept intact and all members of it flourish, because of one another's support. Confucius believed that we should recognize also that we have a place within the family, be it as a son, daughter, mother, father, cousin or grandparent, and that we will also be allotted places in the larger families of the corporations we are employed by, which will require us to behave in ways that befit our stations. This not only applies to someone low down on the ladder, but also very specifically to those who are presented with the mantle of leadership. They are responsible for the well-being of the entire family beneath them. The Mandate of Heaven Quote, If heaven had wished to let this cause of truth perish, then I, a future mortal, should not have got such a relation to that cause. While heaven does not let the cause of truth perish, what can people of Kuang do to me? End quote. Confucius Analects The next big concept within the Chinese framework of meaning is the concept of heaven or Tian. In its most generally accepted form, it means heaven, but it is not to be mistaken for the more common versions of heaven, which are populated with numerous incorporeal entities and double as the headquarters for a chief deity. The Chinese had an older form of supreme deity called Shangdi, Lord on High, a figure similar to the Greek Zeus and the Romans Jupiter. During the Zhu dynasty, the concept of Tian became merged with Shangdi, and China embraced what was known as heaven worship, which until the beginning of the 20th century was the state religion of China. Tian sees God as a supreme unknowable force, and to appease this force one needs to conduct the proper rituals and act in ways that accord with heaven. This principle holds that Chinese ancestors act as agents between mankind and heaven, which further underscores the importance of bearing proper respect for them and honoring them with rituals well after they have passed in order to ensure that nothing bad would happen and that by following the correct prescripts one could indeed be blessed. The emperor of China is called Tianzi, which means son of heaven, and he is said to rule over Tangxia, which is pretty much everything under the sky. This all works under what is known as the Mandate of Heaven, in which the emperors are pretty much seen as demigods or manifestations of Tian itself, making them living gods. Quote, there is no one who recognizes me. I neither resent heaven nor blame humanity. In learning about the lower, I have understood the higher. The one who recognizes me, wouldn't that be heaven? End quote. Confucius Analects. This idea of the mandate of heaven was thought up by the monarchs of the Zhu dynasty to firmly establish their rule by claiming that heaven had revoked the mandate from the Shang dynasty and conferred it on the Zhu, legitimizing their rule. If there were severe natural disasters, plagues or famines, it was believed that the ruler was losing or had lost the mandate of heaven and could and should therefore be replaced. 
Essentially, Tian is a form of cosmic order and generator of fate that needs to be honored lest it become the agent of change through catastrophe or a successful uprising against the ruling class. For King and Country The concept of a heavenly mandate is mirrored in the Western medieval idea that all kings were given their earthly power by the grace of God. The French jurist, political philosopher and much-read writer on demonology, Jean Bowden, is said to have invented or at least endorsed the doctrine of the divine right of kings. Kings had complete sovereignty over those whom they ruled, and as such would Quote, acknowledgeth himself ordained for his people, having received from God a burden of government, whereof he must be countable. End quote. They could therefore only be judged by God himself, which also meant that anyone who tried to depose a king installed by divine right would be committing a sacrilegious act by going against the will of God on high. The thirteenth chapter of the biblical book of Romans was invoked as justification for this rite by James the sixth before his ascension to the English throne. Quote, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. End quote. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7, King James Bible. There are several important differences between the mandate of heaven as it was adhered to by the Chinese and the Western concept of the divine right of kings. The most significant of these differences was that the Chinese had the right to rebel against a ruler who the populace felt was falling short of the mandate. If the rebellion was crushed, then it was seen as a reaffirmation from heaven that the emperor retained the mandate. But if he was overthrown, then the mandate was seen to be legitimately transferred to those who overthrew him. The Son of Heaven also had very specific duties and rituals that he had to perform. In essence, the mandate was seen to be an endorsement of strong moral fiber and ethical conduct, in line with Ren, Li, De, and Zhao. Power versus Force Quote, The Master said, who can go out but by the door? How is it that men will not walk according to these ways? End quote. Confucius Analects. The last, but by no means least, of the big concepts that crops up a lot in Chinese philosophy is what is known as Wu Wei, which literally means non-doing or non-action. 
This does not imply just sitting and not engaging in any meaningful activity, though. Rather, Wu Wei is often interpreted to mean effortless ease within activity. Wu Wei is not about simply surrendering to whatever happens, but is about cultivating the knowledge of how and when to act in such a way that meets the least resistance. There is a strong emphasis on seeing how things are aligned so that one works in accord with that. Things that align are incredibly powerful because of the way each of their parts fit together to make them strong. Think of a carpenter making a chair or a table. If he has not aligned the parts properly, or if the parts are missing, the chair or table will not be aligned to its purpose. In that case, if one tried to use it without correcting what is out of alignment, some sort of external force would be required to keep it in balance. Force is something that needs to be constantly applied, and to be sustained it requires a great amount of energy, whereas alignment is a harmonizing of natural forces in such a way that it becomes powerful rather than effortful. Let it flow. Quote, the Master said, The wise find pleasure in water, the virtuous find pleasure in hills. The wise are active, the virtuous are tranquil, the wise are joyful, the virtuous are long-lived. End quote. Confucius Analects. Wu Wei has long been associated with water, the way that water reshapes itself around obstacles and the way it eventually reshapes the obstacles too. Within water there is a balance as it always seeks its own level. When one works with the flow of water, it carries you. When one works against the flow of water, it exhausts you. Wu Wei is, in a sense the time and tide of our current affairs. It behooves us then to read these currents and work with them and harness them to achieve the best fit within the stream of events. Wu Wei is therefore not something that we can try to gain, because it emerges as a byproduct of behaviors that are in line with it. As Wu Wei works as a mechanism that insists that all things should be done with the least effort possible, Many believe that this means that we should be lazy, apathetic or indifferent, but this is not at all the case. The principle insists that we recognize the rule of conservation of energy, so that when we do apply energy it is not being squandered and misspent. For instance, if you were to find yourself in an argument with your boss or a client, Wu Wei suggests that you let what is happening flow around you and only seek to make a response when you know you will be heard and that your response will have the most impact possible. One must flow like water around the resistance. Wu Wei, therefore, is not about not doing anything. It is about not struggling to do things. From a leadership perspective, it is a method of ensuring you don't try to micromanage and browbeat all of your subordinates, but rather to allow them space and create a climate that allows them to reveal their own excellence. Letting Go Quote, There were four things from which the Master was entirely free. He had no foregone conclusions, no arbitrary predeterminations, no obstinacy, and no egoism, end quote, Confucius Analects. There are two factors that Wu Wei seems to be speaking to, depending on the level at which one wishes to interpret the information. 
The first is what is called the illusion of control, wherein people tend to grossly overestimate their ability to manipulate or have an effect on events around them. Wu Wei reminds us that there are things that we really do not have demonstrable control over, and that it would be prudent for us to understand the nature of events better and then act accordingly. Individuals who are heavily influenced by the illusion of control are also likely to fall victim to another cognitive bias known as illusory superiority, wherein individuals feel that they are liked, admired or respected more than they actually are, or that they have the personality traits that make them more likable than other people, or that they are far cleverer or more sophisticated than they are. They may also have a sense that they are more in tune, more honest and more virtuous than those around them. This sense of being above average could lead to them taking charge of situations where they may in fact be grossly underqualified or inexperienced for that situation compared to others in the group. It may also result in them treating people as though they are beneath them, thus effectively alienating many people. This will result in an individual whose connections to other people are at best superficial and whose interactions with others may tend to be unsatisfying and, at times, totally counterproductive. Quote, when the master saw a person in a morning dress or anyone with a cap and upper and lower garments of full dress or a blind person, on observing them approaching, though they were younger than himself, he would rise up and if he had to pass by them, he would do so hastily, end quote, Confucius Analects. There are various postulations about why the bias towards the illusion of control is so strong in some people. The first question would be whether this attitude serves us at all. The latest research does seem to point in a positive direction, and it is generally held that an illusion of control fosters mental health in the sense that individuals who have it will engage more persistently toward a difficult outcome. Though it cannot be denied that persistence in the face of adversity is a positive thing, Wu Wei speaks to us of having an understanding of what is worth persisting at by seeking to discern what is really within our control and what isn't. The things that we do have control over are the things which we can ultimately master. But to master anything, there is also a requirement that we do not force the process. Building skills is an incremental process that brings with it many opportunities for small rewards, like that feeling of elation that comes with successfully playing a new piece of music, solving a maths problem, or seeing plants flourish when you have nurtured them from seed. Wu Wei invites one to move with the cycles of life to sleep and sleep sufficiently when it is time, to work and work thoroughly when it is time. For this reason, Wu Wei is also referred to as Wei Wu Wei. All of the cycles that we see in the natural world are based on a process of effortless action, be it the rotation of the earth or the movement of the planets around the sun. The system works because of the way the parts are aligned, and so the parts do not have to will or force themselves into the action. The planets move with, not against, the great forces in the cosmos, and, in so doing, bring about all that constitutes our existence. Going with the flow. Quote, the master standing by a stream said, it passes on just like this, not ceasing day or night. End quote. Confucius Analects. 
Wu Wei calls one towards spontaneous action in that it insists one should not have rigid expectations but should rather move in a free-flowing fashion. When one has mastered a certain skill by the temperate development thereof, it unlocks a freedom to revel in that skill that others who do not have it cannot experience. How many of us, for instance, know the freedom of playing Johann Sebastian Bach's Fantasia and Fugue in G minor on a violin? How many of us know the freedom of doing multivariable calculus and engaging in the edifying task of solving problems on partial derivatives? When a person reaches a certain level of proficiency in a given activity, there emerges something called flow. Others describe it as being in the zone. Individuals in this space find themselves so deeply immersed in what they are doing that time itself doesn't seem to exist. Their sense of focus is so powerful that the world outside with all its woes, worries and deadlines ceases to exist. Quote, to overcome the anxieties and depressions of contemporary life, individuals must become independent of the social environment to the degree that they no longer respond exclusively in terms of its rewards and punishments. To achieve such autonomy, a person has to learn to provide rewards to herself. She has to develop the ability to find enjoyment and purpose regardless of external circumstances. End quote. Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi, Flow, The Psychology of Optimal Experience. Flow has been extensively studied by Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi, the Distinguished Professor of Psychology and Management at Claremont Graduate University in California. We can see the connection between the idea of Wu Wei, which emphasizes being like water and flow, particularly as flow can be seen as enraptured motivation, where even one's sense of self disappears, as all of one's emotions are marshaled into the experience, regardless of whether it is in athletic, artistic or pragmatic endeavors. Csikszentmihalyi named the concept flow precisely because when he was interviewing people about their experiences of flow in 1975, many of them described it as a feeling of being carried along by water. Although flow is a state of hyper-focus, it isn't just about getting sucked into an activity like watching TV or surfing Facebook. Flow emerges in pursuits that require the development of competencies that are engaged in a dynamic tension with the degree of challenge in that particular competency. Flow, in its purest sense, emerges when there is a sufficiently high level of both competency and challenge. Wu Wei as flow then plugs into our ability to master things in such a way that makes it look so easy to others. Through facing moderate challenges and building the capacities to overcome them, we have the ability to become extraordinary, even in our most mundane day-to-day -day activities. Quote, if one has failed to develop curiosity and interest in the early years, it is a good idea to acquire them now, before it is too late to improve the quality of life. To do so is fairly easy in principle, but more difficult in practice. Yet it is sure worth trying. The first step is to develop the habit of doing whatever needs to be done with concentrated attention, with skill rather than inertia. Even the most routine tasks like washing dishes, dressing or mowing the lawn become more rewarding if we approach them with the care it would take to make a work of art. 
The next step is to transfer some psychic energy each day from tasks that we don't like doing, as from passive leisure into something we never did before, or something we enjoy doing but don't do often enough because it seems too much trouble. There are literally millions of potentially interesting things in the world to see, to do, to learn about, but they don't become actually interesting until we devote attention to them. End quote. Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi, Mihaly, Finding Flow, The Psychology of Engagement with Everyday Life. Csikszentmihalyi's research points out that this optimal experience is extremely gratifying and has a large impact on one's sense of life satisfaction in a very broad way. There are six factors which, when seen together, indicate that flow is happening. 1. There is intense and focused concentration on the present moment. 2. Merging of action and awareness. 3. A loss of reflective self-consciousness. 4. A sense of personal control and agency over the situation or activity. 5. A distortion of temporal experience. One subjective experience of time is altered. 6. Experience of the activity is intrinsically rewarding. This intrinsic reward sums up much of what Wu Wei attempts to encompass in the sense that we should not be motivated by anything that is beyond the moment itself. That engagement with the moment becomes autotelic in the sense that it is filled with its own purpose and meaning. Coupling up to connection. Quote, now the man of distinction is solid and straightforward, and he loves righteousness. He examines people's words and looks at their countenances. He is anxious to humble himself to others. Such a man will be distinguished in the country. He will be distinguished in his clan. End quote. Confucius Analects. From a Confucian standpoint, we should become better people by becoming better citizens. By adhering to the percepts of custom, ritual and propriety, we will advance ourselves because we advance society. In a sense, we all become mirrors and maps for one another, and if we behave in inappropriate ways, the mirror will reflect us back badly, and so we will become lost. But by acting in accord, we will be able to witness ourselves with clarity and have a sense of our place in the world. The process of achieving victories in the world must begin within, and this is accomplished by adherence to Ren and De. Our human-heartedness and strong moral fiber will be the hull of the ship, whilst Li will be the technicality of how we trim the sails and steer the ship and Zhao is all of the crewmen in their respective stations. Wu Wei is the weather and the seas upon which one sails, all guided by the starry firmament of Tian and the scrutiny of its supernatural surveillance. Confucianism pays particular attention to the idea that much of what we do is interconnected, and that we need to coordinate these things with grace and diligence, so that we do not run aground, as it were, all of these activities and powers come together in a Confucian synthesis so that the individual becomes an example of exquisitely carved jade glinting with many facets.